Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. Thanks so much for stopping by. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Brian Tripp, great to be with you once again. And today's guest will be Keith Embray, the assistant AD for Student Athlete Welfare and Development. He's been at Penn State since August 2015. Not only do we discuss Keith's career and how he nurtures and enhances those relationships and building blocks for student athletes to help them in their development for a lifetime of impact moving forward, we discuss his career and how he got to where he is today and some of the words of wisdom that he's really carried with him for a long time, and also how this all fits in today's society and today's culture, which has so many moving dynamics, not only on a weekly basis, but on a daily basis and the issues that may arise. So Keith Embray, the Assistant Athletic Director for Student Athlete Welfare and Development. Keith, thanks for the time. Absolutely. I have owed this uh, conversation for a minute, so uh, happy to finally be in a position to oblige everybody. Well, I think this is actually, it's worked out well because I couldn't think of a more appropriate time as we go through this podcast. And we're going to talk about your career and your impact on student athletes at Penn State, but also what's going on right now in sport and society, because there are so many things culturally that I think we're all focused on and that we're reading about every day that I'd love to address as well. And Keith, I want to start with when you find someone that's passionate about working with student athletes and helping them achieve their dreams, whether it's on the field, off the field, whatever they do in life, I like to find out where that passion began. So where did your passion as a former athlete yourself come from to really give back and become a part of these athletes' lives? Well, you know, with, for me, Brian, it, it's more of, it was more about just the tremendous nature of mentorship that I had received you know, as a as a child, as a as a teen, and and continued into even as a young adult, and just seeing these people, you know, unselfishly give, you know, their knowledge and their wisdom to younger people, you know, to help guide them um, through their journeys in life, and just to see people so willing to do that, which you don't necessarily have an appreciation for when you're much younger, um, but as you get older and you and in retrospect, and you look back and you say, you know. There were so many people that were so willing uh, to give freely uh, of their time and of their energy and, and of their wisdom uh, to help you in your development. So in some way, shape or form, uh, you know, how could I, you know, do the same for what so many had done for me? Uh, growing up in Southern California, my family, military, you know, ties and backgrounds, great grandfather, career Navy guy. My grandfather also served in the Army as well. Um, and then you grow up in a place like San Diego, um, you know, just around the military service ethic, you know, just that thing of, you know, doing something greater than just yourself. Um, and then being engaged in sports uh, as well. And, and my uncles were all high school uh, coaches and teachers. Uh, so, again, you know, giving back to your communities in these very meaningful ways and then watching the impact. Um, you know, that my uncles that were also coaches had on the lives of a lot of young people. I, I wouldn't even say impetus, Brian. You know, that was just the thing that was ingrained in me um, since a child. And, uh, and it also starts with my mother. You know, we got heroes and sheroes. And my mom is my shero because never went without food to eat, clothes on my back, and 
roof over my head and love and support and everything I've ever done. Um, so it also started with a tremendous foundation, you know, from my mother of, you know, anything you start, you make sure and finish it and treat people the way you want to be treated, not how you think um, they should be treated. So you factor all those things in, my own family, um, some tremendous coaches that I've had uh, when I was a student athlete and even fortunately when I was a professional athlete, uh, just some really good coaches um, that poured into me their knowledge and wisdom. So in turn, uh, I just feel like that was my responsibility. And then also my great-grandmother, who lived to be 98 years of age, before she passed, you know, she told me I was, I have broad shoulders for a reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would understand that, you know, the older that I got. You mentioned mentors, and you described a lot of different people, whether it's a family member, a mom, um, an uncle who's a coach, or a coach in athletics. And it can be anyone across the board. Everyone has their own heroes or sheroes, as you said, that they look up to and model. So what is a common thread that makes a good mentor? Because it can be some, it could be all over. So what are the really strong characteristics that all mentors may have? Yeah, and, and you know, Brian, I, I would be remiss, you know, in that what seems like a, a big list. You know, I also had uh, some tremendous folks in education, you mm-hmm. know, teachers and professors, uh, you know, one specifically, you know, Dr. Ronald Coleman, who was at the University of Utah uh, when I was an undergraduate student athlete there. And he was also the vice president. He was the vice president. Um, he was an African-American gentleman. He also played football at the University of Utah. So, again, you know, here is another example of a mentor. And the interesting thing around mentorship, Brian, which I always try and stress to folks when they have these conversations or even want to engage in it is there's not even a universal definition um, because of the simple fact it means something different to every one of us. And what I also try and teach in our leadership development with our student athletes here around mentorship is when you really look at your most successful leaders, um, they typically have a number of people in their lives simultaneously that offer these different things of mentorship and perspectives that they may need, you know, so they will have that person in their life that is the epitome of that cheerleader. Why not you? You know, you're just as good, if not better than anybody else. They will also have that person that will hold their feet to the fire and tell you you're wrong. You know, you need to apologize and you need to do better, you know. And then they will also have, you know, that person that asks you to get out of your comfort zone. And and that's the only way you're going to get better and that's the only way you're going to grow. So, you know, what I tell folks is I know I was very fortunate. And then if you really examine and look at many of your most successful leaders, they have three to four, you know, of these people in their lives simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And they get what they need from each one of these people um, to help in their holistic development um, as a person and then ultimately uh, as a leader as well. So, you know, like I said, you know, Brian, is, there's a reason that there's not a universal, universally accepted definition of mentor. Um, and those are things that I really try and impress upon, you know, our student athletes and, and in certain opportunities, even with our coaches. Um, you know, are, are we looking for a mentor program or a job placement program? Um, because they're distinctly two different things. I think this is something, especially with what is occurring right now across our country and across the globe, that deserves to be mentioned in the first portion of the podcast. 
as a black man, as an African-American man, how much pride do you take in being a mentor for student athletes with everything that's going on right now? How much pride do you take in serving as someone that's had success as a black man in this industry and in your life? I would, I, I would say pride is, is, is not the, the term I would necessarily mm-hmm. use, Brian. I, I would say, you know, I take great responsibility um, and, and accountability and in, in, in the role that I try and provide, you know, to all of my student athletes. And then, and then obviously to the, the center and to the main, you know, piece of your question. And then, you know, there's a special, is that a special piece, you know, with our student athletes of color, our black African-American student athletes, because you have a shared journey. Um, you, you have shared experiences. Um, unfortunately, some, you know, the things that have come to light in our country right now are, are things that I experienced as a student athlete or things that I experienced when I was fortunate to be a professional athlete. Um, so, you know, you have this, this pain in your heart at times, you know, to where having to experience the same things that I went through. But with that pain is also, again, like I said, the responsibility to guide, to educate, to mentor, to be a safe space and to help channel, you know, potential anger or rage or fear in a positive way that helps you continue to grow and develop as a person. You know, one of my favorite quotes, and I'm a big quote person because quotes are also very visual when the words are really put together really well. And Dr. Seuss, one of my favorite people, you know, of all time, you know, he has a quote, you may be one person in the world, but you may be the world to one person. So that's, that's what I ascribe um, to be Brian is just always remembering. Yeah. I I may be one person, but you know what? I might be that world to one person that day when they reach out to me, when they seek me, um, which is why, you know, we've had other conversations, Brian, why, you know, I try and be omnipresent, you know, I try and be at every home event that we have, uh, because I know everybody's parents can't be there. Um, and, and it's reassuring and comforting to know that when you look up, there's somebody there to support you regardless of, of wins or losses. So, you know, these pieces of life, you know, that are real and that, you know, we're talking about right now, Brian. You know, again, I'm just trying to be there in that sense of because I know everybody's parents can't be there. And and coming from a single parent household, you know, my mother worked really hard and couldn't make it to every game Um, and was always concerned more about these things with life. You know, how are you going to be really looking out for my son when these things like life happen? Uh, Because I was in college, say, for instance, when you had the riots in Los Angeles after, you know, Rodney King. Uh, was beaten by the police officers. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm a human being, so I have the full range and scope of emotion, uh, just like anyone else, uh, just like a majority of our Americans, of Americans are experiencing right now. Um, you know, these are things I've lived with for my almost 49 years uh, on the planet Earth so far. Um, but I continue to practice and preach uh, gratitude for all that I have as opposed to what I don't have, uh, because those are the only things that are going to see us through many of the darkest times. And like I said, you know, doesn't mean that I'm not human. Uh, doesn't mean that these things don't have an impact on me. Uh, but I also know in a role of leadership with a lot of young people and even with some of my peers and colleagues, you know, they're going to look 
to me and they're going to look at how I react to something. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect me. It doesn't mean that I don't have a twinge, you know, of, of fear or anger or emotions that want to take over what I'm doing. Um, but I just get reminded, you know, about the tremendous mentorship that I've received, the tremendous network of folks that I do have to reach out to in times like these. And in turn, like I told you, my great-grandmother, you know, she said I was given broad shoulders for a reason. So I tried to be there and provide them for others, uh, just like somebody has done that for me. So absolutely, you know, these are times and and moving forward, you know, uh, the most tremendous growth comes from the most uncomfortable times and situations. And you go that direction, and I think of enlightenment, education, things that we're hearing on a daily basis right now with some of these significant issues. And significant issues certainly can be intertwined with the conversations you're having with your student-athletes on a day-to-day basis at Penn State, whether it's virtually or in person when they're back on campus. Can you shed some light into what those conversations are like and what you're able to provide them as you meet and have an opportunity to become engaged with a student-athlete? Yeah, well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, is just that, you know, I take great, something I do take great pride in is, you know, really trying to help, you know, equip our young people. I tell people my greatest adversary in the role that I feel here is apathy. You know, it's not that folks don't care. You know, it's not that our athletes don't care. It's not that, you know, take for instance, you know, even our coaches don't want to see our student athletes develop, you know, to be, you know, the, the, the best person or best people they can possibly be. But, you know, more often than not, it's, you know, next practice, next practice, next competition, next class. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to have linear conversations with young people when their now is next class, next practice, next competition. Um, you know, we have tremendous, you know, obviously coaches here as well. Um, but, you know, they're ultimately judged on wins, losses, and graduation rates, you know. Um, our academic services folks do a tremendous job, but they're also judged ultimately on, you know, uh, eligibility and graduation. Mm-hmm. So something very linear when you're talking about trying to prepare somebody for when they have to leave this place, you know, you deal with a tremendous amount of apathy. Uh, like I said, it's not that they don't care. They just typically don't care until it directly affects you. And then in my role, I'm just trying to make sure it's not when they got one foot out the door. Um, so ultimately, to, to answer your question, you know, Brian, what I try and do is, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, do you know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? You know, my great grand, my great grandfather before he passed, I would always have to wash his car and his truck, and then you grow up in a place like San Diego, pretty sunny all the time. So that was a regular thing of washing his truck, and you know, you you had to use, I had to use newspaper. You couldn't use paper towels on the glass. You know, just all these different things. But, you know, this is a military guy. You know, there's a way to do everything and there's a place for everything. And before I left to go to college, you know, he just, you know, asked me, you know, kind of do I know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? You know, and, you know, I gave a kind of trivial kind of answer. You know, I'm 17 years of age and, you know, and he was kind of like, you know, well, knowledge, you know, is acquisition of facts, statistics, figures, things that we have verified. You know, wisdom are stats, are stat, statistics, figures, information that we have verified, but we verified through our own personal experience. So we've actually gone through it, and that's how we verify and how it's become a new piece of knowledge. 
for us, right? And I, I don't know if he was the originator, and I'm sorry, I misspoke. I said my great-grandfather, my grandfather. I don't know if he was the originator of this phrase, but I've never forgotten it, Brian, and, and it's something I share with my student-athletes, you know. And he said, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit, and wisdom is knowing you don't put tomatoes in fruit salad. And I've never forgot that. You know, when you talk about the difference between knowledge and wisdom, um, an interesting thing with the young people that, you know, that we work with today, you know, but they will say, but technically I wasn't wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece of not wanting to be wrong. Um, but it kind of defeats the purpose of why you're trying to teach them, you know, it's great to be knowledgeable, but if you don't know how to apply what you actually know, is that really the best use of your education? You know, so like I said, I've, I've never forgot it. <laughs> you know, you know that the knowledge is known a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is to tell you that you don't put tomatoes in a fruit salad. Um, so that's how I try and go about in my mentorship and guidance of our student athletes is, you know, not only do you have the knowledge that you need to make some of the best decisions, but do you understand how to apply what you know? Um, you know, the same grandfather of mine and very visual person and another way of putting it, you know, he said, there's nothing worse than somebody that can make a tire, but you can't change one. You know, so, you know, all the components required to, to create rubber and the heat needed and everything else, but then you catch a flat and you tell them you can't change the tire. See, that's that knowledge and wisdom piece. Um, and it's very difficult today in the society we live in, Brian, because of technology. Dr. Google knows everything, you know, um, but Dr. Google is typically devoid of wisdom. You know, so many of the things you and I, we had to always seek somebody a little bit older, whether we wanted to or not. Mm -hmm. um, and they gave us that wisdom, even whether we or not. Uh, but in retrospect, it was the best thing that happened to us because we understood the information we were actually. So it was one of my goals and one of the things I strive for in working with our students, even, you know, working with some of, some of my younger coworkers and colleagues and peers is, is just that transmission of, you know, of wisdom, you know, with the knowledge that you've acquired. That's terrific advice. The one thing I was kind of hung up on, though, Keith, uh, throughout that conversation is here in central Pennsylvania with the pollen, I have to clean my car like every day. I'm guessing in Southern California, it's not like that. Uh, no, sir. I mean, I am a, you know, I'm a weather snob for sure. I mean, I, I, I feel very fortunate and blessed to have grown up, you know, in Southern California uh, when I did and specifically in San Diego. We're I also lived in Los Angeles, so, you know, I typically say I'm from Southern California, mm -hmm. uh, but most of my family is in San Diego, and we lived in Los Angeles as well for an amount of time, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you have maybe two months of so-called winter where it's, you know, under 60 degrees, and everybody has a parka on and, a, you know, a snow jacket, and it's only rain, uh, and then the other almost nine months out of the year you're going to be in the mid 70s uh with sunlight so yeah uh not a bad place to definitely have a car wash kind of a business because it will definitely get used year round so. how was that adjustment for you then when you went to utah and you played in the uh, canadian football league for a little while 
Yeah, you know, my journey was, you know, kind of all over the place a little bit, Brian. I actually had started at, at UNLV, mm-hmm. University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Uh, you know, my senior year, I was 16 years of age and didn't turn 17 until, you know, after the season was over. And I was an in-betweener, you know, in so many ways. I was a safety and a linebacker in high school, um, six foot, about 180 pounds my senior year. Um, people definitely don't believe that now. <laughs> and I and I have a good idea why they probably don't believe that. But I started at UNLV and it was it was one of those things as a young person, do you fully know what you committed to? Do did you go to some place for the right reason? Uh, which hopefully is more than just to play a sport. Um, but for some, you know, we definitely know that is their only access, you know, to get some of these opportunities is because of their ability to play a sport, but never been away from home, professed mama's boy, and, and was just, you know, mm, this is this is not for me. Um, but I made some poor decisions, which, again, you know, Brian as well, which feel like I'm in a really good position to emphasize with our student-athletes to where, you know, I didn't consult anybody, didn't talk to anyone. I said, I'm just, I'm not coming back to UNLV, you know, and should have spoke to somebody in our compliance department better understand you know yeah I mean you can transfer but you know if you don't get a release if you don't speak to the coaches about it you know uh, you may not be released out of your scholarship and then you would be ineligible to receive grant Navy Um, long story short I didn't listen uh, I didn't consult I did not seek wisdom you know on how to go about this the best way and you know ended up you know having to transfer to a junior college because my clock had already started mm-hmm. um, and played at Grossmont Community College there in San Diego, same place that some of my uncles have played as well. And was just very fortunate that there was a gentleman who had recruited me when I was in high school, a wonderful gentleman named Ron McBride, who was at the University of Arizona, ended up getting a job at the University of Utah. And my coach in my community college, they coached together in Long Beach State, as well and he's literally like yeah you know I know you know this kid (laughs) and he's like yeah I thought he was you know at Nevada Las Vegas and he's like no he's here and he's actually going to graduate you know and I I got my AA degree you know Brian in basically a year Mm -hmm. Um, so it was pretty brutal I had to take 12 in the summer 18 in the fall 18 in the spring and then another 12 uh, in the summer to be eligible to transfer to another Division One institution. Um, and just very fortunately, Coach McBride gave me that opportunity at the University of Utah. Um, so I, I will always have uh, great affection and respect, uh, not only for him, but, you know, all of my higher education, undergraduate and graduate I received from the University of Utah. And uh, very grateful for that. I just think last chance you on Netflix. That, that just kept popping in my mind when you're telling that story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a little bit different, you know, trajectory, <laughs> but no, but you know what I, what, what I do appreciate, you know, about something like that is, you know, these are human beings and they all have different stories, you know, working with our student athletes, you know, really trying to impress upon them. You know, I, I, I use the simple thing, Brian, of, you know, you know, a pair of glasses, you know, we all see the world through our own lenses, right? And even some of the ills that affect our world today, it's because we lose sight of that. 
You know, we all see the world through our own lenses. It's the reason that you can't put somebody else's glasses on because that's not your prescription, right? But you need to be aware that their lens is going to be a little bit different than yours, and that's okay, right? So it, it, it's, you know, it's very frustrating, you know, right now in the United States when we say African-Americans, black people, and they're like, how could you not see what we don't see, what we see every day? And it's like, but then we have to even remind ourselves, but we see the world through our lenses mm-hmm. right, as well. So it's just learning to have those conversations and, and help people come around to be like, you know what, I don't see what you see, but I see you. That's the step I hope we get to, Brian. But it gave me perspective, you know, that the next day is not promised to you. Um, the only thing that can't be taken away from you is your education uh, once you acquire it. Anything else, homes, cars, jewels, title, any of that can be taken. Um, but, you know, when you acquire that education and things that you're really interested in, nobody can take that from you. And, again, you know, that started the journey even professionally to where undrafted free agent and San Diego Chargers signed me, and I thought it would be one of the best things. Here's a hometown kid, going to get a chance to play for the hometown team, and, and then you learned it was a business. You know, in the most in in the most honest way, you learned it was a business, and that I was a body to get through training camp. Um, and like I said, got cut right before our first preseason game. Never been cut in anything that I've done. Uh, Warner Elementary High School, and here I am. You know, bring your playbook, Coach uh, Bobby Ross, who I still have great respect for. Uh, you know, talked to me a little bit and. This is the NFL. This is how it works. You know, uh, so then, you know, it was a journey up to the Canadian Football League and, and it was it was a tremendous experience and great opportunity. I I have teammates to this day that I keep in touch with. I was lucky enough, you know, Brian, at that same time I was in the Canadian Football League, you had folks like Doug Flutie, Jeff Garcia, um, were up there. So, you know, those were the guys I was chasing around. And uh, got an opportunity uh, with the San Francisco 49ers, who was my all-time as a kid growing up. Favorite team, Ronnie Lott, Tina Turner, you know, all of those great players that they had um, with the 49ers when I was a kid growing up. And here I am. There's Steve Young and Jerry Rice, Ken North Jr. Uh, may he rest in peace. Uh, we're talking about mentorship too, Brian. Uh, you know, Chris Dolman. Chris Dolman was a tremendous uh, man, and he was a great mentor to me, you know, the short time I spent uh, with the 49ers as well. And again, you know, you learn to business. Um, I've never been hurt, college, high school, anything. And first day of minicamp, I tore my quad. So I limped my way back to the University of Utah. And again, when I teach my student athletes, don't burn bridges. You know, treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, and we had a longtime athletic trainer at the University of Utah, Mr. Bill Bean. Uh, he retired after 32 years um, a couple of years ago uh, up at the University of Utah. And here I am, no insurance, no nothing. And he figures out a way for me to get an MRI done and then actually treatment uh, for a torn quad muscle that I had. Not his job. Here I am, a former student athlete, don't play there anymore, anything else. Um, and he took care of me. He looked out for me, you know. Uh, rehabbed and actually got invited back to training camp again 
uh, went all the way through almost the last preseason game and got released. And uh, Dwayne Board, who was the defensive line coach, called me into his office and he's like, you know, what's your agent telling you? And uh, the Arena League. And I was like, oh, are you serious right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is where, you know, people get knocked up into the laps of somebody in the front row. And uh, <laughs> you want me to, to go up to the Arena League? And I remember consulting with my family, you know, who I love to death. And, you know, my big uncle Tony, who was a longtime head coach at Lincoln High School in San Diego. Uh, he coached Terrell Davis for Keely Smith, uh, players like that. And he said, man, you play as long as you want to play. Um, you don't have anybody to be responsible for but yourself. You know, you don't have any children yet. You're not married. You know, so you play as long as you want to play. And, you know, we'll support you in it. So I headed up to Portland <laughs> and, uh, you know, ended up playing with the Portland Forest Dragons. And then our defense coordinator, Robert Lyles, played for the Oilers slash Titans. Mm -hmm. And his coach was then the GM. And that brother is literally how I ended up getting an opportunity with the Titans. Um, because Coach Lyles was like, no way you should be in this league. And, you know, he knew the GM. And then my agent, like I said at the time, he also had two other players on the Titans as well, and that's literally how I ended up um, in Tennessee with the Titans. Uh, played really well and went all the way down to the last cut and go all the way down. And I think I made the team because, you know, here we are. They played the last preseason game on Thursday and played and had a really good game and go back to the hotel and, you know, it starts emptying out, you know, got down the hallway. There, my roommate got called, you know, so here we are, you know, didn't get a call Friday, didn't get a call Saturday, and then Sunday, you know, I got a call, and, and I get over to the facility for the team meeting, and our strength and conditioning coach is waiting at the front door, and if you know anything, anybody watch Hard Knocks, mm -hmm. probably not a good thing when you see the strength coach, <laughs> and I was asked to go in and see Jeff. Fisher, who's the head coach, and we had a long snapper got hurt on Thursday night, the last preseason game. So they're searching the wire, they're trying to find somebody, and so then they had to make a roster decision. So I ended up getting cut that morning uh, before the team meeting. <laughs> and uh, But asked me to go in and speak with Greg Williams, so I knew that wasn't normal. Um, and then they asked me if I would be okay with being on the practice squad. And I was like, absolutely, you know. And so I spent most of that season, you know, on their practice roster, just trying to give a look. Uh, that was a team, ended up making a run all the way to the Super Bowl, uh, which was a great experience uh, as well. And then the next year, you know, it brought me back and I was able to, to compete and earn a, a full roster spot and, you know, backed up, played significant minutes uh, on a, Another really good team. We went 13 and three that year. Um, and then the next year for me, here I am again, one of our top backups. And when I stress to the young people I get to work with, and I alluded to it earlier, the next day is not promised to us. Um, something I've done a thousand times, Brian, in the past rush drill. And, uh, we were practicing against Indianapolis against the Colts. And I literally slipped and fell and landed really awkward and then you know, the lineman fell on top of me off of the tackle I was going against. 
and I ended up tearing my uh, tricep mm -hmm. and didn't realize that I had torn, uh, torn or I'm sorry, I tore the tendon in my elbow was what I did and didn't realize that and thought it was just your ulnary nerve, your funny bone as we refer to it. And we go to another drill and my man Kevin Carter like strained his groin. So like, oh man, let me get back in here, get back in the drill and I go to put my hand down and you know, my muscle doesn't fire. And I'm like, okay, well, this is weird. And uh, play is coming right at me and I go to stick my arm out and then ended up tearing my tricep. You know, so I had two different injuries and two different <laughs> pieces of practice in one day. Um, so ended up surgery, being placed on injury reserve. Uh, here I am now. You're on the wrong side of 30, you know, 32 years of age and spent that entire season on injury reserve and then was not re-signed. Did have interest from a couple of teams. Uh, but, you know, when you tear your tendon in your elbow and your tricep, and to get in the trenches and deal with these very powerful people, you got to be able to protect yourself um, and just could not pass a physical. And so my career ended and started unceremoniously, which is probably apropos. No, I think it's a great answer. And the one word that keeps popping into my mind is perseverance. If there, if there's a word to define it, it's perseverance. And, and that can be applied to so many different things in life. That, that's just a great life story to share. Oh, yeah. There's, there's three Ps. My family famously always talks about uh, when I was growing up, you know, people, passion, and perseverance. Mm -hmm. You know, surround yourself with the best people you possibly can because, one, they will also push you to be the best that you possibly can. You got to be passionate about whatever it is you do. And, and we overuse that word or we don't properly apply that word quite often. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, as soon as it gets tough, you're going to quit. Right? And, you know, and then perseverance, you know, it is. It's one of my favorite words in the English language because it really means that you still will do something even though you know it's going to be tough. Mm -hmm. Right. And that says a lot about one's character. If you're willing to persevere through something, even though you know it's going to be tough. Um, so, yeah, the three Ps, people, passion, and perseverance uh, are the things that I was raised on. And, you know, I try to help our student athletes when they come in here about, you know, you know, the three Cs, change, challenge, and choices. You know, uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Me and perseverance are a wonderful, you know, wonderful partners and fellows. Well, Keith, I hope this is one of those conversations where a listener can learn something from it and take something from it as it's an important conversation to have, not only with what we were discussing earlier in the podcast, but your career, your journey. I think there are a lot of experiences there that not only will help student athletes, but anyone out there in the audience here today. So thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Brian. Thank you. Stay safe and healthy, Chief. And that's Keith Ambray, Assistant AD for Student-Athlete Welfare and Development at Penn State. I hope you learned something here today. Really appreciate you stopping by. We'll talk to you next time on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.